Hey there, thanks for tuning in. I'm Emma Roberts, host of this week's episode of Bookmarked and Dog-Eared, a podcast about storytelling and creativity. Today, I'm sitting down with the lovely Sylvie Badgett. Sylvie is a SCAD grad who earned her BFA in writing in 2019. For the past year, she's been an editor at Savannah Magazine, but is currently undertaking an internship at Bust Magazine. In this episode, Sylvie will be reading from a portion of a still-in-progress novel. Exciting. Hope you enjoy. This is the opening chapter of my unfinished novel entitled No Going Back. Daddy pissed himself again. That's the second time today. I'm sorry, Anna, he whispers, hands fluttering like lame birds. It's all right, Pa. That's the last clean pair you've got, though. You're out of luck. A couple of months ago, he would have laughed. Now he sleeps, out, quick as a match. I untie the twine looped around his waist and ease the soiled jeans over razor blade hips, pebbled knees. I yank off his ruined shirt, careful of the keys he keeps strung around his neck. His breath rasps against his insides. He used to be a big man. Now he looks like a grizzled child. I can't stand the sight of him like this. Anna, Anna, look. A small hurricane is skittering through the hatch and down the ladder that connects us to whatever's out there. Baby's coated in a fine layer of dust. Only her eyes are clean. Blue swimming goggles dangle around her neck. There's blood on her palms. She looks like some sort of desert aviator. Hush, baby. Daddy's sleeping. She doesn't care. He's always sleeping. She reaches into the back pocket of her overalls and produces a dead rabbit, smug. Its thin stack of ribs is visible. It's got an extra face, buck teeth and all, growing from the neck. Back before it was hot, I heard rabbits used to be coated in soft gray fur. Now they're leathery, reptilian. This one looks better than most. Thanks, baby. This is real good. She beams, sun-warped skin cracking around her small mouth. Through her linen undershirt, I can see her shoulders and arms blossoming red. They'll blister tomorrow. I usually don't let her outside for more than a couple of hours a day. Today, I pretended I didn't see her calloused feet shoved into my two big boots, vanish above ground. We were hungry. Want to skin it? I ask. Her eyes are bright like a doll's in her dirtied face. She's already got her knife in hand and the stone we use for cutting laid out. She takes the rabbit gently from me and lays it out on its stomach, pinching the, the skin between its shoulder blades in her black fingers before puncturing it. Her mouth is twisted with concentration. She slips her fingers into the hole and pulls, one towards the head, one towards the tail, revealing the pink and white marbling of muscle and fat. The skin tears like paper. She tugs the rabbit's legs from its leather, undressing it like a mama would a toddler. She hands me the skin. Deftly, she holds a paw in her hand and snaps the ankle joints, one after the other. They make a crunching sound. The knife is silent as she cuts off the feet. Baby, did you know people used to keep rabbit feet for good luck? She doesn't look up from the carcass, blades slipping along its belly, but her eyes are hard and squinty as she processes this. She sets down the knife and scoops up the dismembered feet, offering them to me in cupped hands. Better keep them all, then. Papa's feeling good enough to eat with us. He's propped up in his makeshift bed, bare chest, pale and concave. 
His stringy, be his stringy beard brushes against the softness of his belly. The plate of rabbit sits between all of us, a compass rose. Baby's east, I'm west, daddy's south. There's no north. How'd you catch it, baby? Pa asks. She swallows the half-chewed rabbit in her mouth and leaps up, burping. Her arms are gesturing wildly before she even speaks. You know those big rocks over by the old gas station? Yeah, well, I set up a trap, one of those kinds with sharp sticks underneath, and laid brush over the top of it. I know the mommy rabbits like to have their babies in the shade. And then I just waited. Pa and I glance at each other. The gas station, abandoned and gutted, signals the, b the border between us and them. Anyone who isn't us is the enemy. Whoever else is out there lives in the empty town past the station. I don't know who they are, I just know we don't trust them. Baby, you know you're not allowed to go that far, I say. Her face falls. Yeah, but I was hungry, and Pa cuts her off. Don't you ever go that way again. His voice has some twinge of the authority I remember from childhood. The effort leaves him exhausted, and he collapses into himself, eyes unfocused. Baby sets her jaw and turns. She escapes as far as she can to the other side of the bunker and sits with her knees against her chest. She doesn't cry. She never does. The knobs of her spine peek out above her shirt collar. I can feel her anger radiating off of her small frame. Pause asleep again, jaw unhinged, breath whistling between his yellow teeth. The plate is empty. I hear his stomach growl. We are never full. What inspired you to write this? Like, where did the idea uh, for this story originate? Uh, so basically the whole premise of Fiction 3 is that you have to write a novel and you start like the second day of class. And I had been reading um, The Gunslinger by Stephen King. Um, and it's kind of, the opening scene is all about the protagonist, like running across the desert. Um, so I kind of leaned into that idea. And <laughs> I don't know, it wasn't like a, a strike of inspiration or anything. Um, I just kind of wrote myself into it. Um, and the characters kind of grew up as I wrote more. But yeah, I think I was just inspired kind of like by the necessity of like getting my work done. <laughs> um, and then kind of, I love a good like journey story, obviously, like there are so many great ones. Um, so I just kind of leaned into that. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, uh, I've read The Gunslinger myself and it is, it's a very interesting book. So to oh say the goodness. least. Uh, I guess in terms of writing, you know, what's your like creative process like? Um, my creative process is kind of going through something right now. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I, I think, I feel like people, like creative people, like during 2020 have fallen into like two camps. And one is either that, you know, with so much happening, it's like a, a, a vein of inspiration, you know, like there's a new disaster or a worldly event every single day. And I feel like a lot of people are able to respond to that and create really interesting art. And then there's the other camp that I fall into <laughs> where I just like, oh my God, I feel so full of emotion and anxiety and freaked out constantly that like the idea of sitting down and like funneling that into something is very hard for me right now. Um, but I've kind of recognized that over the past few months um, and have started like scheduling time for myself to write every day, even if it's just a paragraph or two, just to like kind of work that muscle. 
um, and kind of get over this anxiety I have about writing that's developed this year. Um, but really, like, I don't think I have exactly a creative process. Um, I always write down little ideas I might have, like in the notes on my phone or in a notebook, um, and always turn back to that. But really, I just like write from life more than anything. So would you say that it happens more, I guess, sporadically, instead of it being like a planned event? I write a lot, obviously, for Savannah Magazine, where I work. Um, but that's very, like, formulaic at this point. You know, it's super editorialized. There's a brand voice. Like, there are stepstones kind of inlaid in the process there. So writing, like, for my job is completely different than writing for myself. So obviously that's not super sporadic. But, like, writing for myself <laughs> lately has been really sporadic. But um, I'm trying to get into more of a routine. And, like, maybe one day I'll finish that book that I just read from. <laughs> that's, that's my current goal. You mentioned that you work at the Savannah Magazine. How did you get into that? How did you like find it? Well, I think it was, I think it was my sophomore or junior year. Um, Andrea Godo reached out to me and was like, hey, I have this story that needs a writer. Cause I think she was like, I don't know, somehow she was involved um, at the time at the magazine. And she just like reached out to me and passed along an article to do. Um, and then I worked there as a freelance writer pretty regularly. Um, and then I graduated last November and the editor-in-chief at the time um, reached out and was like, hey, we have a position we think would be really good for you. And I was like, okay, dope. I have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Um, yeah, and so I've been there almost a year now and it's been quite the learning experience. I'm super grateful for it, for sure. Yeah, I guess um, on the professional side when you know you are writing for that magazine and you're doing editorials. How do you approach that when you do have those um, constraints and you have to do a brand voice? Um, so it's definitely a learning curve. Like I didn't quite realize how much my writing style changed like regarding the magazine until after about like six months of working there. And I kind of um, compared like the first story I ever wrote for them with my latest. Um, and I think the thing that was the most helpful for me um, was kind of, I feel like ugh, um, a lot of the times when people are interviewing others about a story, they have um, like a theme or an idea of how the interview is going to play out and how the story is going to play out. And they kind of hinge um, all of their expectations on that. And I can find that's actually like really, it, it puts you in a box uh, creatively. Um, so what I've found is it's always best to kind of like let the interview breathe and let who you're speaking to um, kind of take the narrative, which I know sounds so obvious, but I feel like writers always try to kind of steer the story to what they think would be best. And obviously there's a part of that involved, but um, I would say just kind of like being more open generally um, and definitely giving the story room to breathe and kind of not so much worrying about like I want to get X, Y, and Z accomplished in the story, you know? You kind of try and make it as authentic as possible rather than as stylized as possible. I wanted to uh, jump back to the uh, novel you're writing, uh, No Going Back. What do you see in the future for this? What do you envision? Do you want to publish it or do you want to... <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I want to publish it. I want to get an HBO series. Um, and then I'll retire at 25. That's my long-term plan. 
Um, don't, don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> right? That's the dream. Um, I think I would like to finish it, whether I like send it out to agents or not. I'm not sure. But I think just for kind of like myself and to say, oh, yeah, I have a whole draft of the novel at the ready um, would be cool. And I'm like literally almost done. It's like less than 100 pages and I'd be finished. But I just, I also wrote it like two years ago. So that's kind of weird looking back at um, like that writing style um, and seeing how much I've changed not only as a writer, but as a person since I've written that. That's kind of like another hurdle to overcome. But yes, my, <laughs> my tentative goal is to finish the novel at some point in the next six months. <laughs> So you said you wrote it two years ago and your style has changed um, a lot since then. When you go back to those uh, previous works that you did, what do you see? It's not as dramatic as like reading a diary from high school or something. That's for sure. What a relief. Um, but it's nice to see where I've come from stylistically. And it's also nice seeing things that I would change. Like I'm a very like, borderline purple prose like I love imagery and weird metaphors and I love really really rich language and as I've kind of matured as a writer I recognize that there's not always a time and a place for that so kind of when I'm whenever I'm looking at old drafts um, I always kind of bear that in mind and think about like what can I cut out so that the things that are most important really shine and obviously that's like kill your darlings everybody knows that um, but kind of becoming aware of, like, the traps you fall into personally as a writer um, can really help strengthen a piece, I think. So looking back on old work is just, it's nice to see where I've come from as a writer. Um, and it's also nice to have a foundation for where I want to evolve as a writer. Right. Yeah. And I, I think that's really important. Um whenever you're writing to see to like look back on that old work and see how much you've grown and changed since then uh i know and you know that writing just doesn't really like come from a vacuum you know you read other works you get inspired uh, by other people so i was wondering what creatives writing or otherwise uh inspire you in terms you know uh, and that could be like, you know, for like writing style or, you know, just general ideas and concepts. Well, I'm definitely a huge reader. And that's probably, I don't know if that's what inspires me the most, but I think it's fun to um, kind of absorb different writer styles. And, you know, whether you're conscious of it or not, if you're reading um, a book that has a super distinct voice, it's going to um impact your own writing style so i think just like reading a variety of um books and stories and essays um from people with different voices and different backgrounds um kind of makes for a richer style um and then as far as like conceptual inspiration um i kind of i really um subscribe to the idea that like write what you know um so the more like full of a life you can live obviously the more subject matter you have kind of a authority over um i know it's like hard right now because everybody's trying to be safe and stuck at home and it sucks um but even just like going on a walk somewhere pretty or like driving down a road i've never been on or like 
<laughs> literally talking to a stranger at the grocery store. Um, all of that kind of like lends itself to a more colorful life, which I think is necessary for interesting and authentic writing. Um, so like getting out of your comfort zone um, definitely would be my, is my biggest piece of advice and um, most important to my writing, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good piece of advice to sort of stray away from, you know, what you know and like take more creative risks. I'm wondering, how did this all start? At what point did you like decide that this is something that you wanted to do? I don't know if there was ever a set point. It kind of feels like the way it's always been. I do have a very distinct memory of like sitting on those like rainbow blocked carpets in kindergarten when we first learned how to read and I literally I think we were reading that that dumb dog book called like Halloweeny or something and I remember being like oh my god I can't wait to learn how to read so I really think my desire to write stems from a love of books which is literally so nerdy but it's true <laughs> um yeah and it's kind of just I don't know it feels like something I've always done um I think my first creative writing class was my freshman year of high school um, and I was like, oh yeah, I want to keep doing this forever. Um, and it kind of felt like, <laughs> at the time, it kind of felt like the only thing I was good at. Obviously now I know there's more than that. Um, yeah, so I just kind of leaned into it and it felt so like natural and it was a way to escape for sure. And I loved indulging in like fantasy worlds. Um, yeah, so it kind of felt like I was always supposed to be a writer, which is so icky to say but it's true yeah no um definitely I think some uh, I think all of us feel uh that to some extent that you know it's just almost like a natural progression um into like doing what we do I wanted to touch back on a thing you said a little while ago um regarding writing tropes, things you fall into. Do you have any like common threads that you've noticed in your work, whether it's certain like stylistic choices or um, characters, plot threads? I definitely, um, I overdo it. I'm a maximalist, not a minimalist. Um, I like more is more, like that's the kind of person I am. Um, so that's definitely the thing I fall into most. Um, it's just like, having too much fat on there um, and like kind of learning like where to trim and where to cut and how to make certain aspects shine without like beating the reader over the head with it. Um, so that's definitely something that I'm guilty of. <sighs> Let's see. I also think, I don't know. I don't know what else. I think that's the main one. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I also, oh, this is what I do. I get stuck in um, like um, certain types of writing. Like I think it's really important to like vary from like creative nonfiction and fantasy and poetry and kind of, you know, there are facets of every single style that you can take and implement into your work. And I'm definitely like, I love short, writing short stories. That's my favorite thing. Um, so I need to kind of branch beyond that too, I think, just to keep things, you know, fun and fresh. Um, but that's really all I can think of. In terms of the broader like writing community as a whole, do you talk to other writers? Um, yeah, um, uh, 
I always, I keep in touch with a lot of people from the department, for sure, since graduating, and I like to know what they're up to. Um, and I also think it's really inspiring to talk to people who aren't writers, um, just to have that difference and that variation. Um, like one of my very best friends was a fibers major and now she and I are working on creating a zine together just as a way to kind of have a creative outlet as well as, you know, someone else to hold us accountable um, so we actually get it done. Um, so I think as beneficial as it is to like speak with other writers, I would argue that it's probably even more beneficial to talk to people who maybe aren't writers but are still creative because even that can be an avenue into experimentation with your style and craft. Another question I had was uh, regarding, I guess, internships and like finding um, writing jobs. How, how did that process work for you? Do you have any like tips and tricks? What was that like for you? Oh my God, I wish I had tips and tricks. I don't <laughs> have any. Uh, <laughs> um, That's okay. So, yeah, God, it's a nightmare out there right now. Um, Oh, I got, so I landed my internship at Bust. I don't know how. I literally applied to like, I, I had a spreadsheet going at one point, like more than 200 jobs and internships and fellowships over the summer. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I kind of went into a manic episode for several months because <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I need to do something with my life right now. You know, it was, it was more of a control thing than anything. But Bust was literally the first one I applied to and. I want to say like May um, and then I found out that I landed it not until like last month so that was like four months where I thought I just hadn't hadn't gotten anything um, so I don't know I think it's a crapshoot I honestly do <laughs> like <laughs> applying to jobs online or on LinkedIn or whatever it's just like screaming into the void um, but I think the best you can do is like just try and be your authentic self and, you know, network, 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 for sure. It is as important as everybody said in college. Um, Cause you never know like how somebody could help you down the line. Um, but yeah, just, I guess just keep at it. I know it's so like cliche to say, and it's so draining to, you know, get rejection letter after rejection letter, but um I don't know. <laughs> this isn't really good advice, but it's, this is my experience. Um, yeah, just I think I think I got that internship because I like really wrote from the heart because it's one of my favorite publications. Um, and also, I think wait, I do have good advice. Um, I know a lot of writer friends have been offered jobs that are not creatively fulfilling or um, aren't exactly what they're looking for, and they've taken them because they feel like there's nothing else out there. And I do not believe in settling. Like I know it's so paralyzing to look at the job market right now and consider saying no to a job offer, but I 110% think you should only work somewhere that makes you really happy or that really helps you learn. And there's no use in wasting your time somewhere that's really unfulfilling. So that would be my number one advice. Yeah, definitely. Um, no, I, uh, you know, the, um, the job market now, um, and even before COVID, it was, uh, 
it was it was quite paralyzing. So I think that uh, that definitely rings true with a lot of people. You know, I guess looking toward the future and seeing what um, might be available. And I was just wondering your thoughts on, you know, maybe let's say you're someone who isn't as experienced as you. Um, I guess maybe if you were like talking to yourself like three or four years ago, um, what would you like say to them? Um, I think if I were to speak to my former self, I would tell her to start adopting this rule I recently created, which is only plan like three to six months in advance because anything more than that is just pointless because we have no idea what could happen. Um, and that also kind of helps minimize, for me at least, it helps minimize that like paralyzing anxiety about, oh my God, what am I going to do with my life? Because you only have to worry about kind of the immediate future. Um, and for younger writers who are like maybe just getting started, um, I would say like if you have an idea of what you want to do, that's great. But also don't be afraid to like experiment and, and try and maybe find a position or whatever that um, maybe you're curious about, but you never like saw yourself doing. Um, because I never really thought I would work at magazines, but I absolutely love it. Um, I always thought I'd like work at a publishing house. That last part, I think it got cut off. Okay, I'll try and remember what I was saying. Uh, yeah, but just kind of experiment and don't be afraid to apply for something that maybe you don't think you're qualified or experienced enough for. Because, I mean, I think the worst thing that can happen is you miss out on an opportunity because you like didn't have the nerve to try and take it. Um, and that could, that's applicable to anything, not just writing jobs. Um, but I would definitely say like, obviously school is important, but um, again, to be a really like a writer with depth and authority, I think it's even more important to have like experiences that are worth writing about and put yourself in situations that, you know, invoke inspiration or creativity or even just like a new perspective um so i think above all else really putting yourself in those kinds of places that are different and new um is the most beneficial thing you can do for your writing it's a great takeaway so well thank you so much for um giving a little bit of your day to uh talk to us it was uh it was really enlightening so <laughs> Oh my god okay i hope so i did my best thank you guys so much for uh yeah, inviting no. me that was fun yeah you you did you did great and i think uh i think i definitely learned something and i hope the audience learned something as well hey everyone this is emma roberts again hope you enjoyed my conversation with sylvie it was really lovely I want to thank you all for listening to this week's episode and check back again Friday, January 29th for the fifth episode with Ariel Felton, a SCAD grad and writer who was recently published in The New Yorker. That episode, as always, will be available on Spotify or at scaddistrict.com. Thanks again.